Amen. Merry Christmas, everyone. That's right. It is the fifth day of Christmas. There are 12 total. Uh, my name is Evan Riedel. I'm one of the pastors here, and I get to be kind of the service lead and preacher today. It's going to be a little bit familiar and a little bit different. We're going to have some worship and a whole lot of caroling, and then we're going to talk about the joy of what it is that God is with us, Emmanuel. God is being formed in us and that God is working through us. And we're going to do that all centered around this person of Jesus who has come. So as we start the service, I want to read together uh, a text. This is from Isaiah 61, and it's repeated in the Gospel of Luke. So it might sound familiar, but we're going to read this all together. So the word's up on the screen. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may glorify. We're going to stop right there. All right, amen. Father God, we come to worship you today. We thank you that this is the year of your favor, that you have come to proclaim good news, that Jesus, you go into the temple and you declare this to be true of yourself. And in this time, in this season, in the 12 days of Christmas, we celebrate your birth, O Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Please take a seat for just a couple of minutes. The way that it is going to work is we'll sing and we'll have some scripture and some sermon and sing and have some scripture and sermon Eucharist. So just for a couple of minutes right now, I want to talk a little bit about what Christmas is and, and just plainly phrases this, that Christmas is the celebration of the birth of hope. Christmas is the celebration of the birth of hope. That hope has been something we need, that we're longing for, that we're expecting. Uh, you know, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, according to Morgan Freeman, right? It is, there's this idea that the whole of our history, of, of human history, it starts with this broken, this, this perfection, it, creation, and God calls it good. And then somehow it starts getting unbound because of our sin, our rebellion, our disobedience. And then the rest of Scripture launches us into the story of, but don't worry, there is hope. God has a plan for redemption, for restoration, for salvation, for bringing it all back together. And it makes me think, um, so speaking of Merry Christmas, how many little kids are in the room with us today? There's a few. You guys braved it. You went out. You said, I'm going to sit with my kids in service and focus really, really well today. So good job. Um, I have two boys. William is four and a half, and he has cerebral palsy. So his motor skills are a little bit behind, but he's overcoming, and he's incredible, and the Lord's doing amazing things in his life. And I have... <laughs> yeah. 
And I have Alistair, who is our one-and-a-half-year-old, and, a half year old, and uh, he's, he, he, he's one-and-a-half and all boy. And if there is something put together, he will knock it over. If his brother is standing there, he will tackle him, and he is just this little wrecking ball of joy for us. Uh, but there's, there's two kinds of play, and for both of these boys, they're, they're kind of pivoting on this idea. So you guys get a Christmas gift, little kids in the, in the room. Maybe you got blocks for Christmas. And maybe you got Legos for Christmas. Any Legos out there? The marketing team for Legos, I don't know how they convince us that it's worth that much money, but we do it. There's two types of play with these things, especially with blocks, with train tables, with Legos. There is constructive play, and then there is destructive play, right? And we probably, the constructive play is the ability to take that which is out of order and put it back together, or to create something new. And the destructive play is coming in like my little boy Alistair does and just wrecking it. Or William, he is catching up, but it's, it's still hard for him to totally, I don't know if it's attention span or what it is, maybe it's motor skills, to focus long enough to build the whole thing. Uh, because at some point, he's going to start building it and think, wow, that's pretty good. I'm going to knock it all over because that's even better. And they have this constructive and destructive play. And there's this idea, I think, that what they're doing in that, that they're growing into the ability to bring it all together, to fix what is broken or to create something new out of kind of the chaos of it. That when we say that Christmas is a celebration of the birth of hope, it's this parallel image to say the scripture, the narrative story of scripture is one in which God creates it. He knows how to do it. He is this master builder, little Lego movie, right? He's the one, he knows how to do it. And he builds it all and out of nothing, out of completely voidness, he creates all of life and order and goodness. But then our sin comes into the world and you see the story start kind of unraveling. And so the constructiveness of God starts getting deconstructed. And in Genesis specifically, if you go and you look, not at chapters one and two where God's creating, but at chapters kind of three through 11, you start seeing all the undoing of different parts of what God has created. So there's the undoing of marriage and this idea of separation between husband and wife and Adam and Eve. And then there's the undoing of maybe family or, or, or friendships and Cain and Abel and the murder that happens in that story. There's the undoing of culture and society and we see that in, in the Tower of Babel and how they're all scattered. And what was once united and whole is now being deconstructed into something. But then we get this good news in chapter 12 that there is hope, that Abraham has being given a promise by God to say, through you, all the nations will be blessed. And then we get the kings and they lead and the judges and they judge and we get the prophets and they speak and they represent the word of God and all of them do amazing things and yet all of them still fall short of this one whom we're looking for, this Messiah. And it's this Messiah that the whole of the Old Testament narrative they're, all of the voices of it, are they're looking for this one, this one to deliver them, this one to lead them, this one to undo all that has been wronged, this one to bring justice, this one to bring healing. And the story continues and you see it. And, and Jesus even points to it. He says all of that Old Testament, all the prophets, all of the writings, it's starting to point towards me. Which is why he's able to enter into the temple and this scripture that we read together in Isaiah 61, I am here to proclaim the good news, the year of the Lord's favor upon you. That he is binding up the brokenhearted, that there is hope for those who are in poverty. And he goes on and on that there is justice. It is this culminative story that says, 
what started as good, the construct of play, that became unbound in destruction of our sin. There is hope in this story arc of what God is doing, and that not only does he give us hope, but I want to read it in this way. God doesn't rescue us by abandoning the darkness uh, and that was within his creation, the destruction that we brought, but rather he rescues us by entering into creation, showing us the way to live, and being the light that overcomes the darkness. The light, the true light, John talks about this, the true light has come and the darkness has not overcome it. That this idea, the whole thing started to get unbound, it got broken, and we tried, we tried on our human efforts to fix it, and yet we always fell short. We couldn't quite put it back together. And we needed the one, the Messiah, to come. And that on Christmas we celebrate the coming of the one. The one in whom that which has been broken is mended and made whole again. That which was lost is now found. That which was sick is now healed. The one which, when there was no hope, he is the one in whom we find a new hope. And on Christmas morning, our hope is born. And that's what we're celebrating today. And this service is really about that, to say, God, you didn't come to fix this by rescuing us out of the darkness. You came by coming into the darkness of being the light of the world and extinguishing the darkness because it's who you are. You are the God, you are light, and you are life itself. And you're undoing the works of our sin by being light and being God with us. That is what we're celebrating today. Amen and amen. This first movement, we'd say Christmas is a celebration of hope that is born. This is God with us. I want to spend just a moment kind of extolling us and encouraging us of this hope of now God in us. That it's one thing to say, look, Jesus has been born and this changes everything. Then there's this shift that has to happen that says, look, Jesus has been born and it changes everything out here and it's changing something in here as well. That inside, that in my person, my inner man, my inner woman, there is something different because of this news. And I, I would say that it starts with hope. It starts with this hope of a promise of what is to come. But there's still this idea of, God, do something more. Keep it going. Keep maturing me. Keep growing in me. Keep advancing this good news that could just be true in words, but make it true in life within my own soul. And, and this parallels a little bit, I think, of what Mary's story is. That the word of God comes to Mary. The angels appear and they say to her, blessed are you amongst men, amongst women. Blessed are you because to you a child will be born and they will call him Jesus and he will be the savior. This is this good news and it's the word of God given to her that says, this hope that you've been looking for in this Messiah, I'm speaking a word to you that it's gonna start and he's gonna be born in you. And somehow through this idea of conceived by the Holy Spirit within the womb of Mary, the word becomes what then is a baby within her womb and then matures and then grows. And then there's this time for this birth of this child and yet he's still in infancy and he still matures and he still grows. And we get these accounts in the gospels where he's found in the temple at age 12 and they marveled at his wisdom and he continued to grow and grow up and mature and gain favor with man. And it's this idea of what God is doing, it starts with a word, it becomes something that's then seated inside of us and has work to do to grow into maturity. And it's Mary's life, but Paul picks up on this in Galatians 4, this is verse 19. He's talking to this church in Galatia about this same idea, using very similar language. My little children, 
Again, I'm going through labor pains until Christ is formed in you. That there's some notion that even in the church, when the word of God comes to us and is revealed, and this good news, we finally understand, God, this isn't just a story. This is the true story. Jesus is true. This gospel is true. This news is good news to me too. And this faith is seated in us. And then that word has this period of growing in us and it's born in us and we continue to mature and grow up in it. And it's this idea that the good news of God with us necessitates our, particip our participation with Christ being formed in us then. And I want to use this little bit of story, okay? Uh, we're all Coloradans, I'm assuming. Maybe there's some family in town. Holler at you, family. It's great to see you. I'm glad it's going well. Hopefully it's going well. Okay, family's in town. But for the rest of us in Colorado, who here has tried to garden in Colorado? Can I see those hands? Can I see those hands? Okay, who here has tried and failed and maybe at some point given up? Yeah, okay, I see all those hands. Great, I'm, I figured I wasn't alone. Um, gardening in Colorado is tough. Like, I hear there might be parts of the country or the world where you could just get a packet of seeds and get out of the car from the store where you got the packet of seeds and rip it open and then just flickety-flick it and it grows whatever you want it to grow because the soil is so good and the climate is so good. But in Colorado, that is not the case. But we got married, my wife Karen and I, and we got a house and it was just dirt and weeds in the backyard and we said to ourselves, we too will join in this creative act of bringing order out of chaos and a garden of Eden in our own little plot of land and we were terrible at it. We, uh, any flowering sort of thing, like I don't know if we got too many tomatoes ever. We were pretty good at carrots but I still loved the disappointment of pulling up a nice like stalk of carrot and the thing was like this big and you're like, <laughs> I tried so hard. And we, got, we even went as far as to say it's not just going to be veggies. No, we're going to include the fruit too because they're lovely. So we got two apple trees and we planted them so that they would you know, pollinate each other and they would, they would do their thing. And there's a problem with apples in Colorado because if you want organic food, right, that's all of our goals in life is like, dude, I want to be organic. Let's buy organic. Let's spend more money for organic. Let's be organic. And we want our relationships to be organic too. Um, <laughs> But there's this, there's this thing with organic that if you don't, like our apple trees, I mean, the biggest apple was probably like, like smaller than my, my baby fist. It's just so, so tiny. And there was a problem that we would run into because either we would wait until they were ripe and maybe falling off the tree, in which case they would be half eaten by bugs and worms or whatever, or we would pick them while they were still pristine and yet totally bitter and unedible. And it was this like... God, I'm trying to participate in this idea of gardening and, and being cool and growing my own food, and I'm failing at it because it just does not work in Colorado. I feel, and especially if we're using the word organic, organic becomes this thing of like, oh yeah, I'm going to have my own garden because it's going to be organic. I'm going to eat healthier and, and all, all of this business. But what organic ends up becoming is a code word for what we want to be easy, instant, and effortless. I want it to be organic, so I'm going to just put some dirt and it's going to be like really good dirt. Mushroom compost, top shelf dirt, okay? I'm going to put this in the garden and then I just want it to water by the sprinklers and not really have to weed and not really have to tend. And then in a couple of months, I want there just to be produce. I want it to be easy and fairly instant and really not require a lot of knowledge or effort from myself. 
But I hate to break it to you. If you've tried gardening, you already know this. If you haven't tried, I just say stop before you start. You'll save a bunch of time and a bunch of money. Go to the grocer. They have organic food for you. It's the trend these days. <laughs> Growing and maturing and bearing fruit is not easy. It is not instant. And it is not effortless. That Christ being given to us in the world is this great news because now the hope has arisen. And then Christ being formed within us as we carry that message, as it is seeded in us and develops and it nurtures in us and then it grows and then we start bearing fruit and bearing Christ in our own lives. It's not easy and it's not instant and it is not effortless. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Organic actually requires intentionality, effort, and commitment for anything to be born. It, it just does. And I want to pivot back. You all laughed, but it's true. We want organic, organic relationships, right? Man, finding friends is tough. I just want it to be organic. And I went to like the beer sing-along at the Wild Goose and I didn't meet anybody there that could be my friend. And that's a joke if you guys know the goose. But um, <laughs> it's just, it's hard. And we say it's hard. And I, and I know I've been in this city for like 20 years and it's transient and it's super difficult to, to find close friendships sometimes. But we also have this piece of it that says, but I'm expecting it to be organic, which means I want to just sit next to somebody in church, hit it off during the greet time, go to lunch and coffee afterwards, and then all of a sudden it's just stuck and we're in. And some of us, that has been graced into our lives, and other of us, it's not that case. It's not just with friendships, though. It's the effort that we have to put in our family time. I want a good family. I want our family to be whole and living and flourishing, and yet it is tough. You'd think we're communicators and good at it because we're around each other all the time. That's not true, right? Come on, someone's gotta testify to that. You'd think so. <laughs> But it's not true. You have to work at it. You have to take intentional time. You have to learn intentional skills, emotionally healthy discipleship. Incredible. Like, you have to do these things to say, it's not organic as it just happens. It's organic as that it takes intentionality. It takes an incredible amount of effort. And it takes an incredible amount of commitment for this formational relationship to occur. It's the same with mentors. I am huge on mentoring. And we want there to be some magic chemistry where I just meet somebody 30 years older than me that is almost the exact same and can just encourage me in what and who I am instead of saying, you're from a different generation, you're from a different skill set, different life experiences, so I'm going to take the time and the effort to learn from you in that, which means you might not be the same as me, which means it might be harder to connect with you, but if I want the produce of that, I have to put in the effort to gain that. So too with Christ's formation in our lives. This hope has come. Christmas morning, Christ is born. The Messiah is here, the light and the darkness. And he's gonna change everything and he's gonna say it starts with us who believe. That would we take the time to actually have more true organic growth of Christ-likeness within our own souls? To not say, oh, this is great news for everybody, but I'm not going to take the time and the effort to change but to say, Christ, this is good news for me. Now would you come and transform my own life within here? Would you be good news that turns my darkness into light, which isn't that easy? Would you be good news that helps me love my enemies? This is Christ-likeness, to say, all of a sudden, Christ is born, so he's gonna be the judge, and now I love my enemies. Instead, when we get a true enemy or somebody who has truly offended us, it takes a lot of participation and work with the Spirit of God 
to help us grow, to help nurture, to help mature us, that it's not just good news out there, but it's also good news of Christ being formed in here in our own lives. I want to just suggest three kind of avenues for growth. We're at the end of one calendar year, we're at the beginning of another just later this week. And the church calendar, the calendar year has already started and we're celebrating with 12 days of Christmas, which I think is a great thing too because Christmas Day and Christmas Eve is always super stressful because of like everything you got to do. But then you get to the day after Christmas and you realize, I can celebrate for 11 more relaxed days. This is so nice. Put that in your pocket. If it was stressful, you got seven more days, y'all. You can relax, do the Christmas that you always wanted. Christ being formed in us. I want to suggest three avenues that if we're going to be intentional, if we're going to be putting in the effort and we're going to be committed, that growth occurs within our lives by agreeing with the Spirit of God at work in these three specific ways. The first one is going to be in relationships. That we need to cultivate godly relationships in our lives. Relationships that don't diminish the work or diminish the hope of God, but actually encourage them on. To say that you could probably understand in your life, who is the person who is drawing me closer to God, encouraging me and solidifying my faith? We, my wife Karen and I, we have a friend Chelsea that we've known since college, and we think of her as this model of like, I could have the worst attitude and I talk to Chelsea, and then all of a sudden her sweetness and her, her just faith encourages me towards like, okay, yeah, let me rethink, let me relook at that. So what are the relationships that we're cultivating? How are we intentional about family relationships, about friendships? How are we being intentional about mentors or about mentoring and saying, I'm old enough now that I can look down, not down upon, but down towards, I can look back the, the generation younger and say, can I invest time there too? The effort, the commitment, the intentionality to spur one another on towards faith and good works. This is what Paul is talking about. So as we look to say, Christ, I'm going to make the effort to organic, this growth of you formed inside of me, Christ with us, Christ being formed in us, it's going to take relationships that foster that growth. What does that look like for you? The next one I want to say is intellect. That Paul, if you, guys, if, if you all look at it, Paul repeatedly is about the renewing of our mind. Jesus, the apostles, the New Testament, it's constantly this. Let there be a renewing of your mind in this faith. And we need the intellect to go. We need people who have gone before us and have been smart enough to write a book about it and get it published to say, they're so good at that. that look, they put it in print for us. I'm going to read something that encourages this formation of faith within my life. We need podcasts that are healthy and wholesome and encourage us towards faith. We need other avenues, magazines, articles, whatever it is that is challenging our minds and the renewal of our minds and faith and formation and growth. Because that's not easy either. Gardening's not easy. The relationships aren't easy. And the renewing of our mind isn't easy. The last avenue, along with relationships and intellect that I want to suggest, is the avenue of experiences. That there's one thing in, 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 in all of this that says experience is the best teacher. That go out and do it. That go out and try it. I, I, just, I just finished up a, an MA at Denver Seminary. And one of the tracks that they have you do is these mentored formation tracks. 
And the majority of the tract is to say, how do you want to be formed in Christ's likeness and agree with the Spirit's work in your life? And what are ways that you want to design experiential practices of which to accomplish that goal? So the ones that I picked for this semester was, uh, was diligence. Um, any diligent people in the house? I'm working on it. I'm working on it. And one of the things that I suggested as a possible practice that you could do was, are there any jobs, like, like home jobs or just kind of whatever it would be, that you started but didn't finish? Anyone? Home remodels, 95% is an A. So if I didn't get to that caulking or that last piece of trim work or covering up those little nail holes, I passed. I passed with flying colors, okay? But it's this idea of diligence that says, did I take it the full way? Can I go and finish? Can I keep going? Can I keep exerting effort? So there were things like that to say, just what are experiential practices where I could develop diligence in my life? So it was things like, I want to finish that one project, which for me was cleaning out the garage because... Yikes, all right? Uh, other things, like just waking up early and reading for 15 minutes. I want to be diligent with rest time in my soul and my intellect. So I'm going to just wake up that much early, put in the effort that Christ isn't just good news out there, but it's actually causing transformational growth within here. And so as we turn to this new year, I just I want to present this message that, that this is good news, that Christ is born, that the Messiah has come, and then Christ with us, Emmanuel, is good news because Christ in us, that even our own souls are on this journey of maturing into Christ's likeness. And to say, I want to challenge us as a church. We're going to, the next month, January, is, the sermon topics are all about first things. How do we make first things first in our life and go about it? And to say, this is a formational growth plan. It's not just Christ was, the word was spoken to me and I received it and yet it stayed in infancy within my life. But that I actually did the commitment level and the effort and the intentionality that is required for maturity of my faith within me so that I myself is changed. And so as we talk about relational, intellectual, and experiential things, this is a pivot now towards the table. We're going to come and receive Eucharist because I want to talk about Eucharist itself as one of these practices that we partake in every single week at church as a way of forming us into Christ's likeness as a way of confessing, as a way of receiving forgiveness, as a way of saying, I've fallen short, and yet your love, it still is lavished on me. Your full acceptance is still given towards me. As a way of coming and receiving with empty hands and, and saying, God, I cannot gain this on my own, but you gave it to me, that what it becomes is both a relational experience that we have with one another corporately and with the Spirit of God present. It's an experiential practices that we do every week, and this is why we do it, to say, God, I want this to be formative in my life, that as I practice it, so I am being formed, and as I am being formed, it's not just hopeful good news that you are here, but it's hopeful good news that you're being formed in here too, in my life and what's going on. So we're going to turn now towards the table. If you will, just take a moment right now with the Spirit, and I, I just want us to pray this one simple prayer. God, where do you want to form me in this coming year? God, where do you want to mature me in this coming year? God, where do you want to take the word that you have spoken in my life and the faith that you have seeded and let it take root and let it multiply and let it grow? God, where do I need to be intentional? Where do I need to put forth effort in agreeing with you? 
And where do I need to stay committed? That Christ would continue to be hopeful good news in the world and in my life. To your glory we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, church. Good morning. Go ahead and grab a seat just again really quick. Um, my name is Jay. If you don't know or recognize me, I'm kind of that um, relative you only see around the holidays. Here I am this morning. It's good to see you all. So Pastor Evans talked about Christ with us, Christ in us, and I'm going to talk about Christ through us. And I want to tell you a quick story. There's a man who showed up at our church, and he got out of an Uber, got his bike, got a few bags, and he had just come from the hospital. And when he was done at the hospital, he told the doctor, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. So the doctor called an Uber. The doctor paid for an Uber and said to the Uber driver, take this man to New Life. They'll know how to help him. And to me, I couldn't help but think of the story in Mark 2 when um, the, there's the paralyzed man, right? And his friends, they don't know how to help him, but they, they think, let's just get him in front of Jesus and he'll know how to help him. And so they go as far as carrying him up on a roof and tearing a hole through the roof and lowering down just to get him in front of Jesus. You see, when, when we allow the, the, the Christ who is, has been with us to work in us, you can't help but see him work through us. Um, have you ever had that moment where you say something or you do something and you stop in your tracks because you just heard your mother's voice or you just heard your father's voice come through you and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm turning into my father. I'm turning into my mother. Um, that's kind of how I think of this Christ source. When you allow him to work in you, you can't help but see him work through you. And, and I want to be clear about this. I'm not talking about like, we got the front parking space at Walmart and Christ is working through me today, you know? That's not what I'm, what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, well, um, you, you guys have heard, if you've been to New Life Downtown, you've heard me talk about Alpha. I'm going to talk about it again next week because we're about to launch um, our 10th course in January. Um, and so I want to peel back the curtain. And this is just between us, okay? This isn't going to go anywhere. So just, I'm going to peel back the curtain on Alpha a little bit and let you know how we, how we go about Alpha. And, and what we do is we, the, the logo of Alpha is a question mark, right? If you've ever seen it, it's a big question mark. How we present it is bring your questions to Alpha. If you've got questions about life, faith, meaning, any of this stuff, bring them to Alpha. But then when we get together as leaders and train, we always have a training day before each course. When we get together in, as leaders and train, we don't train on those questions. We don't train like, okay, how's the best how do we best answer this question? How do we best answer this question? Instead, we train on how do we be most hospitable? How do we listen really well? How do we listen empathetically? You see, when, when we look at Christ in the Gospels and we look at his ministry here on earth, there was no doubt that Christ uh, was a moral man. There was no doubt that Christ believed in the scriptures, in the word of God, in fact, he preached and he brought another level to it, even more than the religious men who, who knew it the best. Um, he, he came and he preached a sermon on the mountain. He said, look, you've heard, do not murder, but I tell you, don't even be angry. I'm going to bring it from out here to in here. He said, he said you've heard it, don't commit adultery. I'm going to tell you, don't even lust. 
And so there's no doubt, right, that Christ believed these things, believed in scriptures. But when he met with people, when you read about his interactions with people, it's never like, okay, now let me hammer home the five points of my Beatitudes, or let me reiterate what I just said on the Sermon on the Mount. No, he just sits with them, and he has a meal with them, and he listens to them, and he cries with them, and he rejoices with them. And what do you see happen with all these people that he has these encounters with? Is they turn around, they say, the disciples say, I got I to drop everything and follow this man. Zacchaeus says, I, I got to give back everything that I've stolen. I'm going to give back double what I've stolen and follow Jesus. The woman at the well says, I have to go tell people about this man that I just met. And it's funny that when we try to align what we're doing at Alpha with what Jesus did and say, look, come with questions. Let's, let's talk about these. Let's bring up these questions that we all have. But then we just say, but first let's share a meal together. And then when, when they bring up the questions, we say, man, where's that coming from? Like, why? yeah, yeah, we all have problems with why does God allow suffering? David had problems with why does God allow suffering? If you just read the Psalms, it's, it's not a new thing today. So how do we, where does that question come from? You know, and, and when we can figure out where that's coming from, we can sit with them and we can cry with them or we can rejoice with them if we need to. But we share a meal together. And you know what's funny is that we see people leave Alpha and they start saying, I got to bring my friends to Alpha. Like they got to hear about this, what's going on. And I got I to gotta go. There might be some of you here today who've been to Alpha and you've come back to church because you're like, I, I might have left too early. Like I got to figure out what's happening here. And I got to know more about this Jesus guy. It's funny when you model that, you can't help but see Christ work through us. And we're not seeking to make that happen. We're not seeking to answer these questions and force Christ to work through us. We're just mimicking, allowing him to work in us, and then we see him work through us. And so today, you guys are going to go out. And if you have accepted Christ, you have him in you, and you too can mimic his ministry on earth and start to see him work through you. So when you, when you go back to work, uh, we have people in, in the um, congregation who mentor at Queen Palmer. And we can't even, we can't bring up the name of Jesus at Queen Palmer because of separation in church and state, right? If we do, we're going to get kicked out. So we just go in and we're just present with them every week. And we just, we sit with these kids. We're consistent in their lives. We, we speak encouraging words to them. And we start to see Jesus work through us and the similar results to his ministry here on earth. And then same with when you guys go back to work or when you go back to your daily routine after the New Year's and the, the holidays and everything are, are over, you can do this too. You don't have to go back and try and look for the perfect moment to say, you know, Jesus is Lord. No, you, you don't have to do that. You don't have to carry that burden. But you can go and you can sit and you can listen to your coworker talk about how great or horrible the holidays were, how they were drunk through half of it. I don't know, like whatever they're going to say. You can just listen and you can cry with them if you need to cry with them. You can rejoice with them if you need to rejoice with them. And I guarantee you, this Christ, you say, Christ, Lord, work through me, and you'll start to see the stuff. And if they say, hey, how was your holiday? You can say, you don't have to be a fake Christian and say, oh, it was great. Tell them what it was. Was it bad? Tell them it was bad. Was it good? Tell them it was good. But say, but the hope that we have in this season makes it doable, whether good, whether bad, we have hope in this season, right? Um, 
And when you do that, they might say, you're weird, and go back to their Excel spreadsheet or whatever they're doing. Or they might say, can you tell me more? Like, I, I need that. I need that hope. So we have this Christ who's been with us from the beginning, and not just the beginning of the service, but the beginning of creation. He was there at the beginning of creation. And if you've accepted him as your Savior, he's in you. He's living in you, and now he can work through you. So stand together. We're going to sing one more worship song and then our doxology. We're going to close out our service, and then we're going to be sent together as a body of Christ to work through us. Let's sing, church.